0: But I should say, yesterday, I got a call uh, from George's daughter. Wanted to know phone numbers, where he was, and so I called, called the rehab center. and They said he um, had been taken over to the hospital, and they performed an operation, and everything was going okay. So... I called the hospital, and they said, we don't have anybody here by that name. I <laughs> go, wow. I mean, the rehab center said it. So I got to thinking maybe it was at the other hospital. Anyway, I called his daughter back, and she got on to him and said, yes, and I talked to him. So then she called me this morning. I said, great, she's in the hospital. He was up on, uh, in the one of the wards, anyway. And uh, so she asked if I could take, go over to the rehab center, get his glasses and his wallet and a couple of other things because he needed these things. So, Tacho and I drove into town. Or well, Tacho drove into town. And I slept in and back. I was thankful for for Kacho driving. It would have been tough for me to drive. <laughs> anyway, we get. We get the stuff from the from the rehab center. and Went over to the to the hospital. Go in and got to the desk and said, uh, we're, "We need to know George's room number. What's his name?" I said, "George Hubble, H-U-B-B-E-L-L. We have nobody like that. I said, "I know better than that because his daughter just called him and called me." Nope, we. Well, it might be that he just doesn't want anybody to see or tell anybody what he's doing. So I called his daughter back and said, I don't know what's going on, but they won't let me go in because they don't know he's here. (laughs) Anyway, short shorting it down some, they said he is here and that we could go, but she didn't know the room number because there was some something with the numbering and uh, because of, uh, of the rehab center and them couldn't coordinate. Anyway, I went up to the fourth floor, went to the nurse's station and said, I'm trying to find George Hubble. Oh, that's okay. Just go around there, around the hall. He's in West 425. Uh, I don't know the number of the hospital. I forgot to write that down. But I'm sure everybody can find it if you want to call him. Uh, it's room West 425. So it's up on the fourth floor. So if you want to go and see him, he's he would very much like to hear from anybody. Just call him, and uh, uh, if he is close enough to the to the hospital phone, he'll answer it. And if he's and he's still in the ceiling, They put him in a wheelchair. And they're trying to make him exercise. How long is going to be there? It's up on the board. Date of leaving? Question mark. <laughs> so, so I talked to the nurse when I was walking out with Joshua. And I said, I told the nurse, I said, I see you got George back. How long are you going to keep him this time? <laughs> and he laughed. He said, not long. <laughs> anyway, George is doing pretty good. He was making a lot of he was laughing, uh, he was cutting goats. He talked to his son, and um I can't even tell you the conversation there because it's not coming <laughs> but but he got a lot, uh and I did call Darrell and let him talk to Daryl, so he had a conversation with Daryl, so he's doing hey, I would say he's doing pretty good. he needed his glasses because he said he can't. He can't read the menu without his glasses, so he doesn't know what he's getting to eat. <laughs> so, and and when we were there, the one of the ladies that brought the, the food in said, uh, "What do you want to drink?" And he said, uh, "She said you have milk or juice or coffee." And she said, "I'll take the milk and the juice." And she said, "Nope, you can only have one." Yeah, but I, you can you can probably squeeze one in. She says, "Nope, I can't do that." Yeah, you can. No, I will lose my job. <laughs> so, but he looks pretty good. I mean, for the condition that he's been in for a long time. And he's losing weight. I mean, I could see that. I talked to Hachio and, and, uh, and George and I, sh- I said, you, you're lo- you look like you're losing weight. So, but he's doing pretty good. And if you get a chance and you want to swing by... He is in the hospital, so don't believe him if they, if they tell you he's not there. Just bypass the front desk and go to the fourth floor and go to the, to the left after you have to get out of the elevator and then go into the first hallway and make a, a right, go down to the end and make a left and he's about the fourth room. So, so don't believe him if they tell you he's not there. I talked to him today. Anyway. Anyway. I uh, and I did talk to Daryl a little bit. He's doing pretty good. They they are up there, and I guess they're working. So, other than that, he didn't have much to say. Except he, I let him talk to George most of the time. Anyway, tonight the Bible study is going to be on a fantastic book, the book of Jude. It's twenty five five verses. Uh, it's an interesting book. Uh, I've read it a lot of times, and and I tried to get into it because I wanted to know uh, what I could about God's Word and why somebody like Jude and who was who in the world is Jude anyway, and when was this written? So by my research, and uh, I found that uh, because Jude was. Um, and where he came from, it's good to know. And and realize that most of the commentators uh, are confused. But for me, I always go back to uh, John 17, verse 17, which says that God's word is truth. So no matter what people think or, or want to think, uh, some of the commentaries, like this one here, and I don't, I can't pronounce the name, it was a, a writer, a historian, uh, back in 170 A.D. And he wrote the writing is between, so Jude was written according to this fellow, and a lot of other ones, and there were a lot of confusion in uh, when it was written. So he said it was written somewhere between. 75 and 80 AD, and he wrote uh, probably before 81. For this writer says the the state. Um, I should have brought my magnifying glass. The state that Judas Grant. It stated that Judas Judas' grandsons were small farmers in Palestine and were brought before the king in about 81 to 96. That was a grandson, so he had the right before that. So, the best guess right now is it was written somewhere around 75 to 80 A.D. Who is Jude? We ask that question. Who is Jude? So, if you go to Jude, the book of Jude, go to the book of Jude, verse 1, it's twenty five 25 verses, so it's not a very long verse. In Jude one it says, "Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ." So automatically, he, he, he's showing that he had some uh, and uh, some talking or some being around Christ. And it says, it goes on, it says, "Brother of James." So we we'll have to find out who James is too, and then. That are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So who was Jude? Matthew chapter 12 verse 46. Matthew 12, 46. We're going to come back to Jude, but we've got these other things we're going to put in here. Jude, Mac, Matthew 12 verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother, his brothers stood without uh, desiring to speak to him. And then in Mark, it adds a little bit, there were also women looking on as, as uh, far off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the Less, and Judas, and Solomon. So, here we see that Christ's mother was the same mother no matter what the commentary and that's where they had a lot of confusion in because they want to say Mary, the mother of Christ, had no other children because they want to keep her a virgin, but we can't believe everything that people are saying because it says that that Mary, the mother of Christ Was also the mother of James. We read that in verse 1 says Jude was the brother of James. So that would make Mary, Christ's mother, also Jude's mother. Now, I know when I look through all these things, they tried to say that Jude and uh, James and the other children, there was probably seven all total, or close to seven children, uh, were not biologically uh, Mary's children. They want to say it was from Joseph, uh, who had children and was married before Christ was. So what you have to do there is you got to go back and read the beginning of the whole life of Christ. And when you find out that it, if Joseph was married before, you would have seen that in the scriptures. So you have to believe the Bible. You don't have to believe what other people write because they want to keep Mary as a as a virgin who had only had one child in all her life. Uh, in Matthew ten in verse three, Matthew ten three states, Philip. Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Atheus, and Libus, uh, whose name was Thaddeus. So, here we find that um, are names of the disciples. So, when I looked further, I found it says Jude... Is distinguished from Judas Iscariot by the name of uh, Libius or Anthatius. So they used they used a different name so they could distinguish between the two. In Mark three verse eighteen now Mark three eighteen, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. And Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon and the Canaanite. So again, we're finding out that Judas was not only the brother of James and a brother of Christ, not by the same father though, so it would be a half-brother I guess or a quarter brother, or an eighth, whatever it winds up being, but but he was also a disciple. And he was also one of the twelve. In Luke 16, I mean, sorry, Luke 6, 16. Luke 6, 16. And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the creator. So, hearing Luke, Luke is saying again that Judas was also a disciple of Christ and one of the apostles. So, then we go to verse um, 2 of Jude. We'll go back to Jude. Go to verse 2. Jude, verse 2. Mercy unto you, and peace and love being multiplied verse 3 beloved when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation so apparently when Jude started to write this book he wanted to be an encouragement to encourage the people for what uh, the way they've been living their life and so he wrote of the common salvation in Isaiah Again, Isaiah 45, verse 17. Isaiah says, But Israel shall be saved in the eternal with an everlasting salvation. So, what Jude was wanting to write was he wanted to tell them about the common salvation, the common that was being brought by all the disciples, all the apostles, and the teachers at that time. And in in Isaiah, it says, saved by the Lord written, uh, everlasting salvation, you shall not be ashamed for or, nor confounded world without end. So Isaiah even wrote about a a salvation of a world government headed by Christ that will bring peace and, and salvation to all. Again in verse 22 of 45, look unto me, and be you saved in all ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. So they all taught that God the Father was the God. He was the one at the bottom or the where the buck stops, you'd say. He's the one that was really in charge. Acts Turn now to Acts four and verse twelve. Acts four, twelve we're talking about the common salvation. This is what he wanted to speak about. He wanted to talk to these people when he wrote this book. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under the heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. That was the common salvation. The salvation was Christ, we have to Live by everything that God keep every well as Christ said when he was when he was uh, confronted by Satan there in Matthew four four. You live by every word of God, so we have to live by God's word. So here he's saying that the salvation is, or our life, our eternal life, is coming through Jesus Christ. Or Emmanuel, as we take it now. Acts chapter thirteen. Acts chapter thirteen, talking about the common salvation. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, "In the, uh, it was necessary that the word of God should, first be spoken to you, but since." But seeing that you put it from you and judgment uh, yourself, un, judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life, so the common salvation is working toward everlasting life. And lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So Paul, or, or Paul and Barnabas was telling the Gentiles, or telling the Jews that God left them because they did not believe. Or they didn't want to believe, no more than they do today. For so has the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So, salvation comes through Christ, and that's the common salvation. That's the common, what was being taught by the disciples, by the apostles, by uh, the the church at that time let's go on in verse three of Judah. go now back to Jude first uh, continuing verse three. It was needful for me to write unto you, so he saw that there was something important that had to be done. he said it was need I needed to write something to you because He had been questioned by someone else, one of the other disciples, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So his first thought was to encourage them and talk to them about the common salvation, but something came up to him that said there's a problem in the church. This is not talking about just anybody. It's talking about the church at that time. There was a a very big problem occurring and it was brought to him. Uh, Many of the writers are are in confusion. They, They don't know whether Peter wrote first and then Jude or Jude wrote first. But those that weigh it together, they saw that there was a little bit of differences in there, but the problem was the same thing. There was a problem, basic, overall problem in the church. So he said he he told them to earnestly, that means really put your heart and mind into it to contend for the faith that was once given to you. When you were baptized, uh, you accepted Christ, you said, I'm killing my old... And I come out of the water and come up and say, now I am accepting Christ as my guide, my director, my brother, and my husband-to-be. At that time, when he wrote that, what had come through him, there was an invasion of false teachers. But there is today, and there has been. I've been in the church since 64. Actually, I go back all the way to 62 when I first had my eyes open to what was going on. I was not looking for any church. I was happy to be uh, in the Air Force, uh, have a wife and a little baby girl. And um, and I I figured I was going to get out of the service and we would have a good life together. And I heard the World Tomorrow program. I, I listened to a lot. Of it. I don't know why it was. I was out working my Morris Miner out there at Holloman Air Force Base and on a Sunday and I turned on the radio and I listened to all kinds of things. You know, there was the, the Catholic hour which was 30 minutes and then there was brother, I don't, I don't know why I can remember brother Ike. I guess it's because he uh, might have read a verse in the Bible someplace. But it was always back, don't forget this is Brother I and I need your support. Send all your money to me. And that's basically for 30 minutes. He gave one scripture and then just said, I'm still the guy teaching so I need your money. But I don't remember, but Herbert Armstrong was on. And what turned me the most was the statement First of all, it says, blow the dust off your Bible. Well, I hadn't been reading the Bible anyway. And he said, don't believe me. Believe the Bible. And that has always stuck with me. said, if if you want to know the truth, you read the Scriptures. And that's what turned me, I guess, the most. And so I threw through the 50... Eight or nine years I've now been in the church. And I told Daryl the other day, he was baptized two years before me. But I'm still a little older than him. <laughs> but, uh, but of all the people in this area, Daryl and I are the longest. And he's preaching. You've heard him preach and say how... Um, how the church was falling apart and that we all became Laodiceans. And I witnessed that. I can remember after Herbert Armstrong died, uh, we were in turmoil. We used to sit at the sound table where there was about five of us. we not tuned in to what was going on in the church. So when it says there were false teachers coming in, We began to see that happening. That was back in 1987, 86, 87, 88, throughout that area. Um, We could see that there was an invasion of the false teachings. I think it first hit me of the false teaching and false coming in was about 1970. Two or three or four when the S.T.P. came out, systematic uh, theological um, program, yeah, whatever it was, and what threw me when they got that out was I believed when I came in the church that God was my healer. He was my supplier. He supplied me everything I needed. Uh, he was my protector. Uh when I was just coming into the church, I was in the Texas Air National Guard. And uh, I found out that I needed to uh, keep the Sabbath. But once a month, I had to work on the Sabbath. And I just asked God for help. And I went into the orderly room and told him, I need to take off at uh, 1 o'clock so I can go to church. No, you can't do that. And I said, okay, fine. The 20 people you let go to catechism, or whatever it is in Catholic, uh, at, on Sunday morning, I guess they can't go to, and so, because I have leverage, they said, yeah, you can get off, you can go to church. <laughs> but, but I did see, I saw ministers, uh, back in 72 and 73 and 74, Break away from the church and teaching totally different things that I had originally heard and believed in. I had my oldest daughter fell out of a bunk bed, stiff arms into the floor and shattered or knocked the, in your elbow is a bow, is a, is a ball in a socket and she knocked the ball off. And we had her anointed. And six weeks later, without having a tin or anything in it, she was playing Red Rover and going across monkey bars. So, God healed her. That was, it was a definite healing. My youngest daughter fell off of a eight foot high slide or a nine foot high slide and landed on her back and got up and started playing because we mounded her. Another daughter got her cut her leg very bad and had her anointed and she was healed. So I believe, because I have seen it, so when I saw things coming into the church back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, I couldn't stay there because it was false teachers coming into and pulling people away, teaching something totally different than what I learned from the first. Anyway, Jude 4. Jude verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares. I saw that. I've I've witnessed that here. Here at Anatoch. Here at this little community. i witnessed people come in unawares. They slipped in who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. That's saying that, for some reason or other, they were brought into this. They had a purpose. And God was still behind all that. Now, if you think God's not behind it, go back and read the first chapter of, of uh, Job. You can see where God wanted Job to make some changes. And what did God do? He called, got Satan and all the all fallen angels in there. And he just... For out to Job uh, to Satan. So, what do you think of Job? You know. So God allows things to to come in, and here certain men have crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained for this condemnation. Ungodly men. I've seen ungodly men here. I've seen ungodly men in Fort Myers, in Miami. In Lakeland, in Tampa, St. Petersburg, in Houston. When I left Houston, there was a lot of things going on in Houston that should not have been going on. But there was people crept in and swaying people away. So, we have to be aware and knowing the Bible and be aware of what's happening. And this is what Jude is bringing out. Because it was happening then. This is back. In the 80s or 70s and 60s, 80, 60, and 70, things began to happen. We know Paul went into uh, Corinth and had to correct them because of what they were allowing to happen. So it's nothing new. It's happened and happened and happened. And as Solomon said, I think in Proverbs, what happened before will happen again. There's nothing new on the whole earth. Anywhere way. Um, Turning the grace or the forgiveness. Grace is God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's love. Turning God's love into lasciviousness. Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it winds up being that they deny God the Father. And Christ. So, here Jude was starting out this book by saying, take note of what's going on around you. Does it fit Scripture? And that's probably one of the key things. Another key thing for me was Herbert Armstrong said, it has to fit Scripture. I remember that. As far back as 1963. In 1964 and 5. So we have to be aware. And the only way you're going to be aware of it is if you're studying the Scriptures. If you get, you hear something different, you need to check it out. Go to the Scriptures and see how it fits. In Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Paul also is saying the same thing. Let no man deceive you by any means. For the day shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. We saw in 1990, well, 1990, 1989, we saw a problem occurring. There was a falling away beginning. Not big at first, but by 1992, it was pretty large. By 95 it was horrendous. So, I have witnessed these things. And I can go back and read Jews and say, wow, Jews knew it was happening at his time. And as Solomon said, it would happen again. So, it, a great fall on of the church. When you see people that you've known and loved, just disappear. Just disappear. Timothy, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 through 3. Again, Paul talking to Timothy, a new teacher in the church. Now, the Spirit speaks explicit, explicitly that in the latter times, so here, Paul is telling Timothy in the latter times, that's where we are today. We're in the, the latter days. Uh, Some shall depart from the faith. I've seen that happen. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. I, I'm sorry to say, but I have heard those things. And and it hurts sometimes. Because you love these people, but you find out that they're trying to sway others away to do their own thing. Having their own conscience seared with a a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of the, the things believe the them which believe and know the truth. So Paul was instructing Timothy, who was a teacher, the church at that time and saying, It's not going to happen only today, but it will in the future. In the future. Paul also commanded us to preach. So what is preached, he commands the preachers to preach certain things. Look in Timothy, four verses one through three. Paul speaking again to Timothy, he says, "I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing of <coughs> His kingdom." That Paul saying when Christ comes. Preach the Word. So, Daryl, and I have to, and anybody that is preaching in the church is commanded to preach the Word. What is the Word? The Bible. Preach what's in the Bible. Preach what God says. Instant in season, out of season. Rebuke, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all loving and long-suffering, rather, and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It's going to happen. People are not going to want to hear. They're not going to listen. But rather, their own lust they shall keep to themselves, teachers having itching ears. You know, being in the church so long and being able to see these things and then read Jude and see Jude saying the same thing To the people of that time, and it's happening today. Happening to us. Back to Jude, verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Did not Daryl, a week ago, tell us about remembering things that happened in the past? Put them in remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the eternal, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them, that believed not. What happened? Of all the adults that were over 25 or 21, died because they just didn't believe God. And so it happened before. And here Jude is telling the church, And telling us, because this is written for us today too, that look back at the past. Look at what happened. So Jude goes through those things. He goes on, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved to everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. You can go back, and read in Isaiah fourteen and Ezekiel twenty-eight. Isaiah fourteen and Ezekiel twenty-eight. Read that. Take your time. Go back and read what those. Those are scriptures talking about what Satan did. How he was given the charge of the earth to develop it, to bring on human beings, but he wanted more. He was the most beautiful angel that God had created. He was the most intelligent and he turned on God. So, just as we, we see what people do, we're only following Satan's direction when we, when we turn against the things God has given to us. So, go back like Daryl said, and he went over a lot of things in that sermon of reminding what people did. It goes on, verse 7. And even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them uh, in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and set forth the example of suffering, the vengeance of the eternal fire. So, again, go through a lot of Paul's writings. Paul in his writings talks about a lot of sexual perversion, and what's happening today, it it hurts to hear how they are murdering babies by the millions. It hurts to hear how, and I just heard it on the news uh, last night, that teachers are saying they have the right to tell the parents what they can teach their children and what they can't. Because as far as they are concerned... They are more intelligent than you as a parent. And that hurts because these people are trying to tell your children they can mutilate their body. Because if, you, if you're a little girl, you can chop yourself up and be a guy. If you're a guy, you can butcher yourself up and be a girl. It never happens. The physical structure of a body for a male, uh, and I guess we have to be careful about saying males and females, because Anyway, but as Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of that, it's going to happen again. And a lot of people are going to suffer for it. Like, likewise, verse 8, also these filthy dreamers defile their flesh, despise, uh, dispose dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. We should be very careful of Putting down, I know the president is has he's got an illness, but you know we're not part of this system. We're not part of the. We're not Democrats and we're not Republicans. We are ambassadors for God, so we should have no problem. Whatever they do, they're going to do it. We don't want to put them down and make fun of them as, as done. It's, I heard one of the newscasters. I said, i got to quit listening to this because their whole personage was to destroy the president. I, I know he's got problems, but he's not my president. God is my president. God is my father. God is my director. And God's way of life is who I want to be with. So, I take the thing that is said in the Scriptures, I'm an ambassador for Christ, not for this world. So I don't have the right to put anybody down, whether it be the governor or the mayor, or and specifically inside the church. We don't have the right to, to destroy the leadership that God has put there. You can go to Ezekiel 28, um, I'll covered that. First um, Timothy one verse ten. For uh, whoremongers, for those that uh, defile themselves with mankind as man, manslayers, liars, and um, for injurious persons, uh, for. And if there be any other thing. That's contrary to sound doctrine. So we don't go and put, we want to speak, we want to speak down on anybody. We just don't want to do that. Not even speak against dignitaries. Exodus 22, verse 8. Exodus 22, verse 8. Though you... Sh- uh, though you sh- so sh- thou shalt not res- uh, revile the gods. Nor curse the rulers of the people. That was Moses writing. That you don't if revile gods, worldly gods, because they're not gods. They're nothing but statues. They can't do nothing. Scripture tells you that. They they can only stand there. They can't speak. They can't see. They can't walk. They can't. They can't hurt you. They're nothing. They're just. Nothing, in, but you don't want to curse the rulers either. If you do, try to go to your court sometime and talk bad about the, the uh, judge. You find yourself behind bars, probably. Proverbs 30, verse 11. There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. You don't want to do that. If you have children, you should teach your children to always respect their father and their mother. They should hold their, you as in the highest esteem. I remember back to my dad, I thought that he, and I said this in one of the sermons, that he was the greatest, smartest, uh, strongest person I've ever been around. He my father. Well, if we can do that, if we look at our fathers in that way, we then look at God that way. If we look down on our parents and our children look down on us, they're going to look down on God, too. So, it's it's important. We are God's children. And when I look out there and I see all of you, I see Brothers and sisters, brother, sister, um, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So, you know, I I have to give honor to all of you because you're my family. And we as people need to honor each other and we need to respect each other. Verse 9 Notice how he brings out here in verse 9 that even the angels, um, there were three created, three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Halel. Halel was the greatest. But here in verse 9 says, Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses does not bring against him a railing accusation. So, even the angels, and Jude brought this out, how they are more powerful than we are, but they will be under you when you are brought into the family of God. So, Michael, the archangel, did not argue and did not condemn or put down the devil. So, we should be that way too, but he said, "The Lord rebuke you." So when you're contended, and somebody comes up to you and trying to pull you in the wrong direction, all you have to say is, "Christ rebuke you." You know, I'm not going to argue with you because arguing the scripture is useless. It's like arguing over the taxes; it's useless. You got to pay it. So. Michael did not argue with Satan. We should not argue. He, Michael, did not condemn Satan, and we should not. We should let that is Christ's job. That's the Father's job. Verse nine. But those speak evil of those things which they know not. But that which, uh, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in the in the things which uh, they corrupt themselves. So, those people that argue of all, all these things, that argue about what's going on in Scripture, or argue about the, the doctrines, or want to change the doctrine, the best thing to do is turn your boss and walk away. Because it's not worth it. These people can come up with Good arguments. They're probably better negotiators or, or what is it where they, they they talk back and forth to each other anyway. They're probably better at it than you are. So the best thing to do is walk away. Turn your back on them because you only wind up being put down farther and they could convince you to walk away from God. So you don't want to argue with people who are coming up there changing the doctrine or, and it's happened here on this property. And I had to turn my back on them and walk away because it's just not worth it. Verse 11, Woe unto them that are, that they, uh, them, for they have gone the way of Cain. How did Cain go? Cain killed his brother. He killed his brother because he didn't like what God had put out. Uh, God had already given them the direction. These were young men who were born. took nine months, you know, to be born. Uh, It took years to get up to where they were farmers or what they were doing. So they had been doing what they'd been doing. They'd been sacrificing to God for many years. And yet, Cain didn't like the way God treated him. But God only treated him the way he wanted him to do. He was good to Cain. But Cain wanted more. And, and it goes on. And greedy after This is why uh, Daryl brought out in his last sermon, go back and look at history. The history we have in the Bible. See what happened to these people. What happened to Cain? What happened to, uh, the, it goes on, as greedy the greediness, how greedy Balaam was. Balaam wanted riches. And he was going to do anything, even though the ass spoke to him. Why didn't he say, uh, wait a minute, this is a, a, an animal. It's speaking to me. But he, he argued with the animal. But he wanted the money, so it says, and ran after the greed of Balaam for reward and uh, pursued after the greediness of Korah. Again, saying, Korah, what happened to Korah? Again, Korah wanted Aaron's job. Dathan uh, and Empiring wanted. Moses' job, God did not give them those jobs. And God said, okay, he took them out and he'll bring them back in in a time when they will be able to learn right. These people are spots. So here, Jesus is telling us in verse 12 that people that act like Korah, that act like Balaam, that act like uh, Cain who want to be the leader, who want to be in charge. They are spots in your feast. You don't want those spots. Your feast of love. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, they don't care. They're not looking at the end result. So you don't want to be the one that says, I can do a better job than God has given to the person that's, that's the leader. I wasn't called to be the leader of this little group. I've said to many people, tell you again, I'm not qualified to be the leader. I don't have the background, I don't have the, the Depth of understanding, so I'm not qualified to be a leader. I don't want the job. It's awful tough. When you are the leader of a group, you're basically alone. You might not think that because you talk to them and stuff, but basically, they are the one that has to make the last decision. So they're basically alone. Because there's nobody with the the background that they have. So I don't have the quality. I don't want it. And I'm basically too, frankly, old old for the job. (laughs) I don't have the physical strength. So Daryl is the one that God chose and put here at this little group. And I have seen, I'm sorry to say, but I have seen a lot of people come And a lot of people go. I've seen elders come who thought that they could do a better job of leading this group of people. But they're not here today. Because were they like Cora, who wanted the job and wasn't qualified to do the job? Anyway, it goes on. Um... These are spots. People that come in there, they are actually spots that need to be put out. Um, They're like clouds without water. So you're in the desert right here and you need the water. What good is the cloud except it gives you a little bit of shade? But when you need the water and these clouds are, are not heavy enough to give the water, that's what these people are. They come in and try to take over. There's clouds without water. Carried about with the wind. There are trees whose fruit withers without fruit. What happened when Christ was out with the disciples? And they were walking and they saw this beautiful tree. It looked good. It should have had fruit on it. Maybe it wasn't the time for it, but the tree looks good. You don't want to be a person who looks good, but has no backing. That backing is what, the way you live your life. Do you have fruit? Do you show that you have God's Spirit? Do you love each other? Do you want to do what's right? Christ condemned that tree. So you have to go back, go to Galatians 5, says the fruits of the Spirit. You want to judge yourself and see how much fruit I have? Go to Galatians 5. Go to Galatians 5 and read that. Do you have any fruit? Or how good is that fruit? Or you are in verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their uh, own shame. Wandering stars, those are angels, are wandering around, to whom is uh, reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Those angels that stuck with Satan, their end is a horrible end. Enoch, he said, Again, going back, looking at history. Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied these things. Behold, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of sons. What does it say in Revelation 14, chapter verse 1? 144,000 first fruits. That's the tens of thousands that's going to come with Christ when he brings back Enoch. Which isn't much said in the whole scriptures about Enoch, except Enoch preached the same thing. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that that are ungodly. So, Enoch tried to preached to those people. This is prior to the flood of Noah. He preached to those people they were ungodly among them all ungodly deeds. They were doing things so bad they were called ungodly deeds. Enoch was preaching it. That's what Enoch did. Verse 16 These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Ask yourself, do I murmur because I don't like what's going on? I don't like who the leader put in charge of a certain group or a certain area of life. Are we, do we complain? Do we walk after our own lust because we want the job? Peter said, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life, That what brings on war and fighting. And their mouths speak great swelling words because they're great. Go back to Galatians, uh, yeah, Galatians. I mean, not Galatians. First Galatians. Corinthians 13. And see what it says about those that are great speakers. If you don't have godly love, you are nothing. So speaking swelling words. Having men's persons in admiration because... Of advantage. Are you trying to be the elder, the deacon, or the one in charge of whatever because you could do a better job? So, this is what Jude is having to say. Jude saw this a long time ago and said it's going to happen in the future. But, beloved members, you, uh, you, the word, uh, But, beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last times who should walk after their own great uh, ungodly lusts. God calls those people that want to be the guy in charge and God did not put them there he says that is ungodly lust. You want to be more than what you really are. You just have to come to the point, and, and it's difficult. I find myself that way. It's difficult to say, I, I think I can do this, this, and this. But when you face reality, it is I can only do what I can do. And I see me one way, but you see me another way. And it's not always the same. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not God's Spirit. When we think we can do more than what God has given us to do, do we have God's Spirit? Think about that too. But you, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's what the church was teaching. That's what James and Peter and John and Jude and Matthew and all these people taught. But they prayed and asked God for help. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for eternal life. And of some having compassion, making a difference. What does James say there? If you see somebody, James 5, 19 through 20, James says, if you see a person making a mistake, you go to them and help them. You have saved a brother. That's what the same right there same thing and others having uh, saved with fear pulling them out of the fire when you see somebody making a mistake it's not wrong to go up there and try to help them do the right thing and and be loving and forgiving sometimes we see somebody making a mistake and we don't We don't forgive them, but God does. Psalm 137 or 136 says God's mercy endures. Every verse says God's mercy endures forever. What about our mercy? When we see somebody, maybe they offended us. Do we have enough mercy to love them and try to help them see the difference? That's what James said too. And if you can help them and they turn around, it says you pull them out of the fire. What fire? The great fire that will burn up all those that are totally not willing to do it God's way. Having even their garments spotted with, by the flesh. Now unto them... Under Him that is able to keep you from falling and present uh, you fruit, uh, faultless before the presence of, of His glory with ex- exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. So, for all of us, Jude started out to speak on what he ended up speaking with. But he had to come and tell the church. Just as we saw the church in 87, 88, 89, 90 going the wrong way. Jude saw that happen back at his day. Peter saw it happen in his day. And he had to change from encouraging people to do the right way. He had to get onto them and tell them, be careful. Because what God has offered to you is eternal life. And to be a part of the leadership that will be in the world tomorrow. Be able to work with human beings for a while. And show them the right way. But we need to practice that now. This is what Jude is saying. We need to put that into our life today. We have to love each other. We have to love God enough to put away the fighting and the arguing and the spots that have come in and out of the church. So, I think Jude is very important it's a good encouraging and an instructional book. It's short, but there's a lot of stuff there that we could all work on. So keep the faith, keep the love, and look at being a part of what God is doing. Thank you for coming.